take your Bibles this morning and open them to Matthew chapter 21. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 21. If you were turning to Luke, I commend you for paying attention and being expectant, uh, maybe even eager to get to that Gospel. We're not abandoning the Gospel of Luke. We will uh, venture back that way after this Sunday and next Sunday. Uh, But we take some time this week and next week, really this week coming up, to do something that the Universal Church is doing together. We take a time out of the year where the whole church of God comes together and celebrates uh, something that is always near and dear to our hearts. We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. That's this week. And so this week we will be focusing especially upon our Lord going to the cross and our Lord dying, our Lord rising from the grave. That's what all of this is about. So as you've heard us announce the last couple of weeks, as you can see in your bulletin there, we'll be having a Good Friday service at 6.30 this Friday to celebrate the cross, be thankful, express gratitude to the Lord for the cross, and then next Sunday we'll celebrate uh, the resurrection uh, on Resurrection Sunday. But we begin this week in Matthew 21, like Larry had alluded to earlier, looking at our Lord's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This passage of Scripture, or this event in Scripture, is actually recorded in all four Gospels. And that's unique. Not every event, or every act, or every teaching of Christ is recorded in all four Gospels. Now, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record much of the same things. John's Gospel was written from a different perspective with a different goal in mind. It covers different aspects of the life and ministry of Christ. But it is a rare occasion that we could find one event where God actually records it four times in the Bible. That stands out to us, doesn't it? That says that there is something significant about this event. God wanted us to make sure that we get whatever the message is in the triumphal entry of Christ. And so there's significance here that I hope we'll bring out. Because truth be told, a lot of us have heard this story, haven't we? Not many of us have studied it. Not many of us have dove into the depths of it and brought out what is really going here through the attitude and the acts of Christ our Lord. So I hope today we will come away looking at the triumphal entry in awe and grit by the love of our Lord. It's a unique title that tradition has given to this event in the life of Christ. Uh, in worldly standards, it's not really a triumphal entry. That's one thing we're going to highlight. It doesn't seem very triumphant for Christ to ride into the capital city uh, on a donkey and in, a, in an extremely humble way. But from a heavenly sense, man, this passage is definitely one of triumph. This passage for us is one that should spark passion within us. Because our Lord is on the way to be the victor, is He not? Our Lord is on the way here to the cross. And this this event for us clearly portrays not only the humility of the Lord, as we'll look at in His uh, humble procession into Jerusalem, it also shows the love of the Lord in His extreme dedication to fulfill His mission on the cross. It shows the heart of the Lord that He has tremendous love toward the sinner. 
that Jesus is so willing and so desiring and so committed to the mission of God and the redemption of humanity. In fact, the, the point of this event, we could say, is that Jesus rides into Jerusalem not to make vengeance in wrath, but He rides into Jerusalem in mercy to make salvation. And He rides into Jerusalem to deliver mercy that's not bought by the blood of His subjects or His servants, but to deliver mercy bought by His own blood. This whole event here is wrapped up in the picture of Christ going to the cross. For you and I, that's what we understand about this event. We get to read all of the New Testament. We know what comes after the triumphal entry. We know that His triumphal entry is the road to the cross. It's the road of death to our Lord. And we'll look at it through that light. Because this event here, I want you to see the importance of it. This is the final action taken to set in motion the series of events leading up to His death. This is the final week of our Lord's life on earth before the cross. Something He's predicted numerous times, hasn't He? Look, flip back there to Matthew chapter 20. Look in verse 18. He's speaking to His disciples and He says, See, we are going to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn Him to death and deliver Him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and to be flogged and to be crucified. And He will be raised on the third day. That's what this whole event is pointing to. Christ is saying, look, we're riding into Jerusalem. We're going to the capital. We're going to the holy city so that I can be delivered over and crucified. I know exactly what's happening here. This is the final stage of the puzzle for Christ to set in motion this final week of life before the crucifixion. This is the last phase of His mission on earth. This passage of Scripture is something we celebrate as believers. Our Lord rides into Jerusalem for you, for me, knowing full well what lies ahead. Let's read now in Matthew chapter 21. And let's start here in verse 1. We'll read it, we'll come back like we normally do, and we'll walk through it. So look in Matthew 21, verse 1. Matthew writes and says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem... And came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and He will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. 
And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Lord, meet with us this morning. Unite our hearts to You and guide us into truth that we may behold Your motives in this event. That we may see Your heart and Your mind and Your love and Your mercy. That we may see Your dedication and Your commitment to be hung on a cross for the sinners of this world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The first thing I want to highlight for you out of this passage comes in verses 1 through 5. We want to look at the command of the Lord because you notice there in verses 2 and 3, He issues a command to two disciples. And as we look at the command of the Lord, we're going to see His mind. In fact, as we walk through this passage, I want you to see the mind of the Lord, the heart of the Lord, and really the mercy of the Lord or the love of the Lord. The first thing, looking at His command, we'll see His mind. And His mindset, let me just tell you, is all-knowing, it is focused, and he is totally, 100% engaged in what is happening. We see that through a few things in this passage. The first thing concerning his command that I want you to notice is that he is in total control. Look at the control of the Lord there in verses 1 through 3. Some people actually think, some loose theologians or loose Christians, loose students of the Bible, actually think, that Jesus was simply just caught up in the whims and fancies and enthusiasm of this crowd. That really, in reality, He didn't intend for this event to happen. He didn't intend for these things to go down like they were. But He got caught up in the energy and the excitement of the people and was, for even a moment, reactionary. Meaning that He was distracted from His mission by the energy of the crowd, even just for a moment. That's what some people actually believe about this passage of Scripture. We know that's not true about our Lord, right? Praise God that Christ is not distracted. That when He's set on His mission, He's totally set on His mission, and He sees it through to the highest quality to its fulfillment. And in fact, the text itself won't even lend us to think that kind of way. The truth of the matter is, Jesus is in absolute, total control of the whole triumphal entry. That's... Pretty remarkable because of what this signifies. Again, this is the road to the cross. the road to death. And He is in total control of every detail of it. Remember what Jesus even said in John about His own life and the cross? I lay my life down. No one takes it of me, but I give it up freely. They may nail me to the cross, but they do so by my permission they do so by me allowing it i give up my own life no one takes it from me that's what's going on here absolute total control over every detail everything that's going on in this event even leading to the cross he'll see it through wholeheartedly so let me just tell you something here that's vitally important about this passage christ isn't tricked into entering into Jerusalem 
And He's not forced to go to the cross. Our Lord is going willingly. That's the theme running throughout the whole triumphal entry. That's the theme about Jesus riding into Jerusalem on this donkey. That's the theme of Christ being in control here. He's not tricked. He's not forced. He's not coerced. He goes to the cross of His own desire. He goes to the cross of His own will. Of His own commitment. His own determination. Our Lord goes willingly. A few things I want to point out concerning the Lord's control over this event. I want you to first notice that He is in control of the timing of the event. There's two simple words there in verse 1 as Matthew describes this event. And we don't want to read too much into them, but we do want to look at them because they indicate something for us. Matthew says, when they drew near to Jerusalem, then Jesus sent His disciples. Doesn't seem like a whole lot, but it tells us something. tells us that Jesus had an ordained specific time in mind. Only when He arrived at a certain place would He send His disciples. When He came near, then He sent these two men. So like John's birth, like we've been studying in Luke's Gospel, like His own birth, like we've seen in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is in control even down to the very last minute of the event taking place. Every second of His arrival into Jerusalem, Jesus is vitally in charge of. That's a phrase we've noticed in Luke's Gospel already. Remember what Luke reported about John's birth when the time came John was born? It says it again of Christ's birth when the time came Jesus was born. Paul uses that same language in Galatians 4.4 4, when the fullness of time had come God sent forth His Son. That wrapped up the whole incarnation. God sovereignly rules and sovereignly reigns over every minute of Christ's life. Here, Jesus is in control, even down to the second. Not one part of His plan was a minute late or a minute early. Happens exactly how He wants it to happen. That's important. Because everything is in God's timing according to Christ. I do nothing of my own timing. I do nothing of the timing of humanity, timing of men. I do everything on God's timing. That's also important because Christ is making a tremendous Old Testament connection here. Timing is important to our Lord because here our Lord is setting Himself up as the Lamb to be sacrificed. We know what week this is for Christ in this time and this period of the event taking place. It is Passover week for our Lord, isn't it? It's actually five days before Passover takes place. Five days before Christ is going to the cross To be crucified. And if you know the Old Testament story of the Passover. You know that a lamb was to be set apart. For the Passover. Passover being. When God decided to free Israel from Egypt. From slavery. And he says I'm going to perform one last great miracle. One last great work. I'm going to come through the land. And I'm going to kill all the firstborn. Unless. You take blood of a lamb that's slaughtered, smear that blood on your doorpost. When I come to that house, I'll see the blood and I'll pass over it. God does just that. And after Israel's freed from slavery, comes out of Egypt, God institutes the Passover feast, the 
Passover week and says, I want you to remember this every year. And in Exodus chapter 12, verse 3, he actually says, on the tenth day, five days before the Passover, I want you to take a lamb and set it apart for Passover. But wouldn't you know it, Jesus' triumphal entry is on the tenth day, five days before the Passover. Christ is in control down to the very minute because Christ here sets Himself apart as our Passover Lamb. I will be the Lamb that's slaughtered. I will be the Lamb that's slain. And you will take My blood and it must be smeared upon your hearts so that God will pass over your sins and see My righteousness. This event is remarkable because it's our Lord going to the cross and our Lord is in control of every minute, every detail of this event to set Himself apart, set Himself up as that Lamb that's going to the slaughter. So He's in control even of the timing. I want you to also notice that He knows every detail of this event. You look at the actual command there in verse 2 and verse 3 you'll see the all-knowing mind of the Lord. Every minute detail is His. Notice the detail He he gives to these disciples. Go in the village in front of you. Immediately, you're going to find a donkey. That donkey's going to be tied. And with that donkey, you're going to find a colt. And someone's going to come up to you and say something. If they do, say the Lord needs this and they'll give it to you. Notice all the details there. He knows of the donkey and the colt with the donkey. He knows that they're going to be waiting for his, his use. He knows the disciples are going to find them immediately. He knows that this donkey and this colt, they're going to be tied up and need to be untied. He knows where they're going to be tied up. He knows that someone's going to ask them, why are you untying this? And he also knows that when they give the answer, the Lord needs this, that'll be enough for the owner of the donkey. Every detail Christ is in control of. Every detail Jesus knows about. That means nothing of this event is outside of the realm of the knowledge or understanding of Jesus. Everything going on here, He intimately knows it. Church, that means something tremendous for us. That means our Lord knows exactly what He's doing. He knows exactly that he's riding in Jerusalem to be crucified in a week's time. It's not forced by the crowd. He goes willingly to the cross for you. He goes willingly to the cross for me, knowing full well what lies ahead. Knowing full well that he'll stand in front of a crowd that chants, crucify him, crucify him, even though he's innocent. He knows that Pilate will be a coward and call him innocent, but still condemn him to death. He knows that he'll be nailed to a cross, a hunk of wood, and that men will cast lots for his clothes and people will humiliate him and mock him and they'll say, if you really are the Son of God, come down from there. And he knows that he won't come down from there. He knows every detail of what lies ahead. In complete control of the event that takes him to his death, in fact, it's probably not enough to say he's just in control. We should probably say he's orchestrating every detail that leads to his death. Oh, Christian, don't you rejoice 
by the willingness of Christ to go to the cross for you? Not only the willingness, the dedication, the effort, the commitment to go to the cross for us. That's what we celebrate this week. That's why we rejoice at His triumphal entry. That's why we call it a triumphal entry. Our Lord going to the cross for us. I I totally want you to see and I totally want you to be gripped by this event because the Lord's dedication and desire to die for you. The command we see in verses 2 and 3, it's not given by a man who doesn't know what's going to be happening in the next few days. Details of this command reveal his intimate knowledge of the situation that he is the lamb going to the slaughter. The third thing concerning his control here I want you to see is his authority. And what I mean by authority is that he exercises an an element of authority here because Jesus at this time is the owner of nothing but also the owner of everything. You look there in verse 3 in in the command that he gives to the disciples. If anybody says anything to you, this is the response. And he gives a, a unique response. In fact, one that you and I would never piece together. He says, this is what you should tell them. The Lord needs them. That's a phrase you and I would never use. We would never put those two words together. The Lord needs. We say the Lord needs nothing. God needs nothing. We think about the passage in Acts where they say, does God dwell in temple made by hands? Or, Or need a home made by the hands of man? No, God needs nothing from us. But yet Christ uses that reply. The Lord needs them. That's because here on earth, our Lord is the owner of nothing and also the owner of everything. What I mean by that is He didn't own the donkey. He had to borrow the donkey. In fact, Christ owned nothing but the clothes on His back. He said Himself, I have no place to lay my head, no home to call my own, no livestock to make a living. And yet at the same time, we know Psalm chapter 50, verse 10, 11, 12 to be true. Where God says, for every beast of the forest is what? Mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. For the world and its fullness are mine. We find something unique here in the incarnation of our Lord in His life here on earth. He has no possessions of His own, but at the same time, He is the owner of the world. And He exercises that authority when He says, I need that donkey. And when the owner of the world has need of a donkey, that donkey is His to use, right? He's orchestrating every event to ride into this city on our behalf. That's His authority. His authority that's in control. The authority that He can do whatever pleases Him. Whatever He wants to do. Whatever He needs to do to fulfill His mission. And let me just take it a step further. What is so remarkable about the authority we see exercised there is the same authority that will set by as men nailing to the cross. The same authority that will remain silent when they condemn an innocent man to death. You notice here the control, the authority, the all-knowing mind of the Lord 
that will remain silent when it's time for him to be slaughtered. Jesus had every ability, every opportunity to put it all to an end. Every chance to skip it all. To say, no, I'm not going to do it anymore. It's not going to happen. And yet this sovereign God who took on flesh for us remains silent for us. There's no doubt He's in control of this event. And I hope that wells up in your heart a realization of His extreme love for you. I also want you to notice under the command of the Lord this morning, real quickly, I want you to notice the focus of the Lord in verses 4 and 5. The focus of His mind. He gives this detailed command revealing to us that He knows everything that's going on. And in fact, He's in control of everything going on. Exercising authority over everything going on. But in verse 4, Matthew gives us another description, another detail. He says He gives this command. Jesus gives this command. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Realize something here. He's on His road to the cross. On the road to death. But the focus of His mind is fulfilling Scripture. I'm exercising control. I'm orchestrating every detail to bring about what is said of me in God's Word. Look at the prophecy there in verse 5. From Zechariah 9.9. Larry already read it this morning. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king's coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, full of a beast of burden. And Jesus fulfills that prophecy to the letter. Something given over 500 years before his life. He fulfills every aspect, every part of it. In fact, he leaves nothing to chance. The prophecy mentions both a donkey and a colt. Jesus gets both a donkey and a colt. There's no doubt. I'm bringing about the fulfillment of Scripture. This is remarkable for the heart and mind of our Lord. As He prepares for His death, He is still concerned about remaining true to Scripture and being obedient to the Father. That is who Jesus is. You want to learn something about the character of Christ, the integrity of our Lord, the mind and desire of Christ. It's to remain true to Scripture and please the Father. That's His whole purpose that's what he cares about doing the father's will upholding the father's word and he does this even for you and i so that he can remain the adequate substitute he maintains his obedience to maintain his righteousness so that when he goes to the cross he will be the sufficient sacrifice lord's concerned with righteousness even down to the last moment of the cross that He can be the adequate substitute for humanity. So the focus of the Lord is on obeying God and in turn securing our redemption through His righteous, righteous sacrifice. The third thing here real quickly I want you to see concerning His command is His attitude in verse 5. Since this prophecy is about Him and Matthew applies it to Him as Jesus fulfilling it, we can learn something of his attitude as he's riding into Jerusalem. Notice the first phrase there in that prophecy. Second line. Behold, uh, pay attention, look, notice, celebrate. Your king is coming to you. 
That is a true statement about Jesus. The true and rightful King of creation. He is that to His core. He is the only King. However, look at the puzzling next sentence. Your King is coming to you humble and on a donkey. There's great significance in that statement. Christ comes humbly. In fact, He comes riding on a colt which is even more humble than riding on a donkey. A colt is the offspring of a donkey. This colt is untamed. It's never before been ridden. Mark 11 verse 2 tells us that. The same event. Mark says this, donkey, this colt's never been ridden before. This colt probably needs its mother to come along with it to keep it steady and stable as the disciples try to drag it across the countryside to where Jesus is at. That's what he comes riding into Jerusalem on. And it's interesting to me. He rides a beast of burden so that he can take the burden of sin. What I want you to notice here about the attitude of the Lord, although he possesses all control and all authority over this whole event, although he knows every detail, orchestrating every detail of this event, I want you to notice his attitude that it is submissive and it is humble. Jesus is the submissive, humble lamb to be slaughtered. And he rides into Jerusalem to that slaughter. What a great attitude of submission and humility for our sake yet again. Submitting himself to the will of the Father and adorning himself in humility to allow these people, I want you to take note of that term, to allow these people to crucify Him. Willingly and obediently being that silent lamb to be slain. I think that is such a remarkable truth. That in the same passage, we can see great power exercised and great humility exercised. And that we can know it is for the salvation of sinful man. I want to read to you Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Somebody would, would even dare to die for a righteous person. That's, that's crazy, that's absurd, but God would die for the sinner, for the unrighteous, for the rebellious. This God who possesses all control, all authority, would humble Himself, submit Himself, to that point, this innocent man, this king of creation, rides to the cross for us. Completely in control, completely righteous, completely obedient, completely innocent. The true and rightful king of kings, yet humble to the cross for us. You know what that means? That means you... You do not question the love of the Lord for those He came to save. Would you humble yourself to that point? 
If you possessed all authority and all power of the universe, if you were omnipotent, if you were all-knowing, if you had everything in the palm of your hand, would you allow weak and worthless sinful soldiers to nail you to a hunk of wood? Would you allow a corrupt government to flog you, although you had committed no crime, to condemn you as a criminal, although you had no deceit, no sin in you? None of us would do that. But our God would do that. Our God has done that. That's what I want you to see in this event. The dedication of Christ to be crucified for us. He came into the world in great humility. He's going to finish His mission in this world in great humility. Let's move on rather quickly here to verses 6 through 9. I want you to notice, and I'm just going to highlight the rest of this passage for time's sake this morning. Notice the coronation of the Lord. So we've looked at the command, and we've seen in His command His control, His focus to fulfill Scripture, His attitude of humility, although He possesses all control. Now I want you to look at the coronation. Because really He is being crowned as king. That's what coronation means. Crowned as king or as a sovereign. That, the act of crowning as a king or celebrating the sovereign king. That's, that's what's taking place here with this crowd. And if in the command we see his mind, then in the coronation we see his heart. Because he had a heart for this people. Look there in verse 7. Verse 6, the disciples are obedient. Verse 7, they get the donkey and the colt and they cover them with their cloaks. Jesus sets on their cloak their cloaks. Verse 8, the crowd spreads their cloaks on the road. They spread branches on the road before Him. Verse 9, they go before Him and they're chanting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And I want you to notice there the contrast with the earthly kings when they ride in with great pomp into their capital city. Because earthly kings, they adorn themselves with royal robes. They ride in on white horses. They surround themselves by their armies. And they are covered in precious jewels, precious possessions that go before and behind them. They're led through the cities with trumpets, with government officials, with people of high ranking in their society. They're paraded around in splendor and in grace and in power. And that is not the case with Christ. He comes in extremely humble. And he who rides on the clouds of heaven as God is now found as a man riding on the back of a colt. Again, another expression of humility. Worthy of so much more of this. And although the prophecy was made concerning Christ coming, concerning the king coming into the capital, although that prophecy was given 500 years before, nobody comes out to meet him. Nobody's ready. Nobody's prepared. He's not met with the high priest. He's not met with kings. Instead, he's led through the city by the common folk. Instead of a white regal horse to ride upon, he is riding on the colt of a donkey. Instead of royal robes adorning his back, he's covered in his dirty old worn out attire. Instead of flower petals being cast before him, he rides on branches cut off of trees. And what's so striking with this procession 
is knowing that one day the King of Kings will come back in more glory than this world has ever seen. And instead of the praise of common people around him, people that will, mind you, turn their back on him in five days' time, instead of the praise of common people, common sinners, he'll have the praise of the angels surrounding him. And he'll march through this universe in a way unlike any other king could ever imagine. And yet, our Lord seems undeterred by this. He's worth so much more than this world can muster. So much more praise, so much more glory, so much more majesty and splendor and worship than what these people can give to Him. And yet, that's probably why He's undeterred by this. He knows the glory that He rightfully has, and that makes earthly glory worth nothing to Him. He knows that He rides to the cross where He will be declared the victor and again united to His glory. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 2. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because of that, God has rightly exalted Him, bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. Through the cross, He receives glory yet again. That communicates to us the great Patience and humility of the Lord. These people are doing their best. They're shouting Hosanna. They're spreading their cloaks and their tree limbs. That that is a sign of honor. Hosanna is a Hebrew term meaning to save. Save us, save us. It finally became connected to the Messiah. Messiah, the Son of David, the one we've waited for. Blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Messiah in the highest. Save us. Save us. Psalm 118.25 The same word. Save us, we pray, O Lord. That's what they're chanting. And Christ will save. Not like they're thinking. Not from their government oppression. He'll go to the cross and save. Conquer, O Hosanna. Come and conquer among us. He will conquer. He'll conquer on the cross in a way that they can't imagine. Surrounded by people who will mock Him and ridicule Him. And here in this procession, He's surrounded by people who really aren't even sure who He is. Surrounded by people who are sinners at their core. And and let me just drive it home to you. It's for these people He goes to the cross. Those people who are mocking Him, those people who are ridiculing Him, those people who will nail Him to the cross. It's for those people He dies. For us that He dies. There is the heart of the Lord that He endures so much for the salvation of these people. Worthy of more than what they can muster. Worthy of more than what they can give. Yet humbly accepting this procession. Let's wrap up here this morning in verses 10 and 11. We see the confusion of the people. He enters into Jerusalem and the whole city is stirred up by this event. And they're confused. And they ask, who is this? What's going on? The crowds respond, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. 
But the most, most of the city, the people not involved with this procession are totally bewildered. What is all of this commotion? Who is this that rides into Jerusalem? It's Jesus. And here's the whole point of Matthew, including verses 10 and 11, including the confusion of the people. Christ is calling them to reconsider who He is. You notice most of Christ's ministry is relatively quiet, isn't it? In fact, many times our Lord explicitly says, don't tell anybody what's happened here. This is the one instance where Jesus comes into a community in a very, very public fashion. And why does He do that? Because of His mercy. Who is this man? Reconsider who this Jesus is. Think on who this person is and what He may mean to these people. Think about what they're saying. Hosanna, the Son of David. Think about it when they say, Hosanna in the highest. Who is this man? The Lord could have snuck into Jerusalem like He had done many, many times before. In fact, He's coming in the main gate of Jerusalem here, something He's never done before. And He comes in in such a public fashion that the people may think and may ask, who is this? Isn't that the greatest question to ask concerning Christ? Who is this? question we all have to ask. The mercy of the Lord extended through the control of all of this event, His authority and orchestrating of all of this event is causing this city to reconsider, rethink who this Jesus is. And I want you to do the same. Rethink. Reconsider who this Jesus is. I don't know if you're like me, but in my life I have questioned many times, how can God love a sinner like me? What was Christ thinking going to the cross in such a fashion? And I hope you reconsider who Jesus is this morning and you see His extreme dedication to die as the substitute for you and I. In those terms, we don't question the love of Christ. We don't question that His heart is for the guilty. I didn't come to pronounce judgment. That time will come later. I came to extend salvation and mercy. I came to show grace and love and forgiveness. This sovereign God taking on flesh, the one who is over every detail of this event, humbly rides into Jerusalem in great patience, submission, and humility for us. Extending that humility to the cross this week, he rides into Jerusalem only as the lamb to be slaughtered. Nothing else. The lamb that will keep his mouth shut. The lamb that will willingly lay down on the cross. The lamb that will allow and sustain the men breathing. who will nail him to the cross. That's our Jesus. That's what we celebrate this week. That's why the triumphal entry is so important. Because what we see true of Christ here is true of this week of Christ as He goes to the cross for us.